now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. He is far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We have a great show in store for you today, a bunch going on. We, As we talked about earlier this week, we are into mid-March, and we've got a couple big events colliding. One is the start of spring football here for the Nittany Lions. They were back on the practice field Tuesday, so were we. I had a full uh, notes and observations piece up at lions247.com on Tuesday night, a full photo gallery, including a look at several first-year Nittany Lions who are making their practice debut Additionally, recruits are starting to make their way back to campus. We'll jump on a lot of that uh, with Tyler Calvaruso a little bit here later in our uh, episode, our resident recruiting expert. Uh, Tyler's been covering who's coming to campus, who is anticipated to be on campus this weekend. Uh, we've got a lot to look at, including a new crystal ball pick that he submitted in the last few days. But first, we circle back to Des Moines, Iowa, where Penn State is preparing for a Thursday night tip-off in the NCAA basketball tournament, their first appearance in that tournament since 2011, looking for their first victory in that tournament since 2001. And Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan will be courtside uh, for all the action. We'll see if it lasts deeper into the week or if this is the end of the run. But first things first, fellas, glad you are there safe. And uh, we obviously saw your coverage from Penn State shoot around and from the initial press conference availabilities on Wednesday. Yeah, you know, uh, I've been to several NCAA tournaments, multiple, uh, Tucson, New Orleans, Atlanta, Des Moines. I mean, it's uh, raining, pouring rain out now, gray and dank. Uh, but you know what? Inside of the Wells Fargo Arena, what an interesting place, man. I mean, it's like, a, I think, I, I forget what exactly the, uh, the capacity is, but I think 15, 16, 17,000 kind of in the middle of nowhere here and that's not a knock on Des Moines but it's like why would they have an arena this big they have like arena football and I guess minor league hockey and and that sort of thing but the people are have been tremendous here the facility is really cool and I would have to imagine as as unique as this place is and I'm looking out the window I'm sorry that's what I was I was to see if it was still pouring rain uh it seems like the Penn State team's having a pretty good time. I mean, uh, the, the thing that we were able to see yesterday was a shoot-around. Shoot they actually did a, more of a practice-type thing, like a modified, limited practice at Drake University yesterday morning. Yesterday, they basically just came to the arena. It was open for the fans. Uh, literally, all they did was shoot jumpers the whole time. That's it. And uh, Micah Shrewsbury sat there with the TBS announce crew and talked to them the whole time. But they were loose. They signed autographs. Uh, everybody seemed to be in a really good mood. Uh, that's kind of the way these things usually go. The one difference that I ever saw in one of these was back in 96 when Penn State uh, went up to Providence. And uh, they were the number six seed, I think, and I think or seven seed. And they drew the 10 or 11, which was Arkansas, which had just won a national title a year or two before. And it was a little different then. And Arkansas came out and was just like hammering the rims, dunking, doing everything. And you could really see the difference in the athleticism between the two teams. It was a really bad draw for Penn State. And it set a really, it was really a, a weird feeling. You just see how athletic that team was. And, and in the game, it proved to be that way. Penn State was kind of worn out, worn down. And Arkansas just basically won relatively easily. This, you didn't get that vibe. I mean, this Penn State team, this is a team that's gone through a Big Ten tournament gauntlet. You know, facing the best teams in the Big Ten, nearly became the first team ever to beat the first, second, and third team at the Big Ten uh, seeds at the Big Ten tournament. And is just coming off playing Purdue in a national player of the year in Zach Eady. So these guys are ready. They're loose. They're veteran players. They're ready to go. And that's kind of the vibe that I got over there at the arena yesterday. 
Mark, of course, mentioned the, the conference tournament run that Penn State just went on, part of the five-game win streak that they delivered in March to punch their ticket for this opportunity. They are the number 10 seed in the Midwest region bracket against the number seven seed, Texas A&M. Penn State at 22-13, and 13, Texas A&M out of the SEC at 25-9. and nine. It's a 9.55 Eastern tip-off. Um, so we got a ways to go, at least you guys, in terms of waiting to get to that point. But, uh, Daniel, what, what are the clear – concerns that you have for Penn State basketball when you assess why this magical run might end on Thursday night as you look at this Texas A&M squad? Texas A&M is just a, a, a really tough draw. I, I think that the general consensus was that they were underseeded uh, when the bracket came out. Um, and so I think when I look at it, the one thing that stands out to me is the, the Texas A&M guard, Wade Taylor IV. Um, he's someone that, that really jumped out to me with uh, – you know, his ability on the perimeter, his ability to get in, into the lane. Um, and with Penn State, you don't really have a legitimate rim protector. Um, I think Kebajai is someone who can alter some shots and is a big body down there, but he hasn't quite established himself as, I think, someone to be completely fearful of uh, in the lane. Um, so that was something that stood out to me. And then, you know, going through some of the advanced stats on, on Ken Palm and doing the comparison, um, you know, Texas A&M is a really, really good rebounding team um, on the offensive glass. Um, you know, we've seen Penn State surrender some second chance points before at times this year. Um, so that's something that I think stands out to me. And then you know, Texas A&M lives at the free throw line. Um, you know, I think they're number three in Ken Palm and free throw attempts per game. Uh, we know that Penn State uh, is one of the worst teams uh, in in college basketball when it comes to getting to the free throw line. Um, even though against Purdue, a lot of their comeback, I think, was based around the free throw line. Uh, so there's just you know some, some different contrasts in here. And you know, I think that the elephant in the room, especially when you're talking about free throws, especially when you're talking about you know being in the lane, you know, crashing the glasses, what the officiating uh, is going to look like, how this game is going to be officiated. Uh, I think that that's something that early on in the game that you know we'll really be keeping an eye on um, because you know we've we've seen the experience that Penn State has had at times in the Big Ten. Um, you know now that they're getting officials that you know haven't seen them play all year and you know from different parts of the country. I'm interested to see if you know Jalen Pickett gets some more calls. You know what it looks like on the perimeter when Andrew Funk is running around trying to get off screens. So. Yeah, there, there's a lot of kind of, I think, smaller picture things that, that have stood out to me, you know, since Sunday uh, when, when we learned that this matchup was was what it was going to be. Mark, uh, Daniel laid out a lot there about what this matchup looks like for the Nittany Lions, where some pitfalls might be presented. When you look at maybe an edge for Penn State in this matchup as the 10 seed, where do you identify some of those possibilities? Yeah, I mean, it's three-point shooting. I mean, uh, Texas A&M is a terrible three-point shooting team. I think they're 32% or something like that. And, you know, the one thing that Penn State has been able to do most of the season, Daniel touched on this, Not there have been a, a few games where teams have really destroyed them on the offensive glass, but usually they've been able to mitigate it with the danger of them being able to get back down the floor and score, or score easily, uh, get open three-point shots. And I think it was Brad Underwood early in the season when somebody said, hey, how come, you know, this is a small team. Why aren't you guys crashing the offensive glass in, in his, his, from Illinois? And, and his, his comment was, yeah, well, if you do that, then you're not getting back and you're giving them easy three-point shooting opportunities. So to me, that's the key in this game. I mean, if Texas A&M is going to crash the offensive glass and – the one thing that I think I, I don't know Buzz Williams well, but the one thing I do know is that guy that what I've seen from him at Marquette and Virginia Tech and, and now at Texas A&M, he is not going to change his, his approach to, 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 to fit a team that he's playing. They're going to do what they're going to do. So for Penn State, the key is going to be, yeah, if you're going to give up those easy two-point you know, stickbacks, you got to make them pay in transition with easier threes, and then you get into the math of three being greater than two. So that's going to be the key. I mean, Texas A&M isn't going to be able to hang with Penn State with respect to shooting the three ball. They're just not. I mean, if you look at their stats on the year, it's just not there. Uh, as Daniel mentioned, they, they get to the free throw line. They score, they score on twos. 
I think they've they've shot 860 free throws, which is just absolutely insane. It's 26 a game or something like that. So that those are the things that they're going to do. So for Penn State, if the three's falling, we've seen this all year, haven't we? If the three ball's falling, they could run with and they can beat anybody. If it's not, they could be in trouble. So why is that super important in this game? Because you're coming off of four games in four days at the Big Ten tournament. Where is this team's legs going to be? Yes, Texas A&M played in, in the SEC tournament title game, but that was three games in three days. I mean, and then one game for Penn State at the Big Ten tournament was overtime. So, and, and they're probably lucky they didn't go overtime again against Purdue or, or they'd be even more tired. So, you know, my thought is I'll bet, I think adrenaline may carry them a little bit in this game. You know, if they're able to get past it, I, I think that second one's going to be really tough and not just because of the opponent. But I think that four games in four days, how is that going to impact their legs when it comes to three-point shooting? Because if they can shoot the three ball, they can beat anybody. All right, guys, uh, you've got your predictions up at lines247.com for this round one matchup. I want you to explain them here on the podcast, and we'll begin with you, Daniel, just to set the stage here a little bit. Texas A&M, a slight betting favorite. Uh, as of this recording, three-point margin is how the betters view that one. Yeah, I, I took Penn State uh, in this game, and I think that when you get into to this point of the season and, and you start picking these NCAA tournament games, you know, I mean – I, I can't say that I've watched, you know, 40 minutes of Texas A&M basketball uh, across the, the whole season. And so, there, you know, there's a lot of unknowns, and I think that this is a really tough matchup. Um, but I just think that the way that Penn State played in the Big Ten tournament, um, I think when you look at what carries from how they performed um, in that game, the one game that stands out to me is that Northwestern game on Friday night, the overtime win, where they just did not play well at all. Um, in a lot of phases of the game, um, you know, turnovers, points off turnovers, the three-point shooting was bad, you know, Funk, Pickett, Lundy until overtime, not a lot of, you know, they did not have their best nights, but you got to the end of the game and Penn State won, and it didn't necessarily, it was a gritty win, but it didn't feel like one of those, like, pulling teeth wins where, you know, you win, but you feel bad about it. Um, so I think that the fact that Penn State was able to win a game like that, um, you know, I think speaks to what they'll be able to do, you know, tonight and be and potentially beyond, um, depending on, on how things go. So and also I think the fact that, you know, they got down by 17 against Purdue um, and, you know, there are six minutes left and I don't really think anyone would have faulted them if they packed it in from right there. Fourth game in four days. Um, you know, going up against Purdue, being in that situation. And the fact that they had a chance to win it at the end, I think, speaks to the intangibles um, and kind of where the mentality of this team is. So I think it's going to be in the single digits. Um, I think I had Penn State 76-71, I believe. Um, and, you know, I think that they'll be able to pull it out. I think that, you know, the way that they're playing, you know, they kind of have something about them. Uh, which is funny. I was talking to our Texas A&M beat writer last night, and he said the exact same thing about A&M, where he said that, you know, it feels like there's kind of a, a magic about them right now where, you know, they'll have these games where, you know, things are going wrong, things aren't going well, but then you get to the end of the game and they're winning by six points. So I think that's a fun part about March where every team is a, a team of destiny uh, in a mm. certain way. And you just kind of find out, you know, which destiny is the real one. But I think that, at least for tonight, I think that Penn State will be able to, to get by uh, A&M. Mark, we, we know that you are locked in to beautiful Des Moines through Sunday. Will you be watching more Penn State basketball out there is the question. What do you think? Listen, I, I don't know if the NCAA selection committee did this on purpose or it just happened, but this is, this is going to be a, a, an intriguing matchup. I think it's going to be a fun matchup because it's two contrasting styles. You know, you have the bully ball, Texas A&M. And I don't want to say Penn State's finesse because Penn State isn't a finesse team, but they just do things differently. You know, they shoot the three ball. They limit turnovers. Uh, they, they, they're not afraid to stretch a game out. At the end of the season, they've been very good in tight games. Uh, obviously, the Purdue game notwithstanding. Um, so I, I just – I love this matchup in terms of uh, – th again, going back to what Daniel said – 
these things that you see in the NCAA tournament. Like you, you go through that Big Ten grind of 20 games and then four more in the tournament, and you know everything you're going to know about all, every single one of those teams. And neither of these teams has faced anything like what they're going to face. And I just think that's tremendous. I, I go back to what I said about the three ball. You know, you're looking at a bunch of seniors who had their proverbial backs against the wall after that four-game losing streak. And I think all of us, I don't want to say, I don't want to speak for everybody. I know I thought there was no chance they were going to get to the NCAA tournament. And what do they do? They went eight and nine, nine and 10, whatever it was. And, and, and here they are. You know, not only did they make it, I mean, it wasn't even a question uh, at the end when they got in. So I, I think you have that veteran group that's really been kind of shooting for this. And I think the adrenaline, the momentum of the day is going to carry them. I think it's going to be back and forth. And at the end, I'm going with Cam Winter hitting a three-point shot, kind of making up for the one he didn't hit against Purdue. But we saw him hit some money balls, uh, you know, against Northwestern and then against uh, against Maryland. They have a they have a veteran team. I think one of the veterans, and I'm going to pick Cam Winter, steps up to the end, hits a three-ball, win at 68-67, and move on to face Texas if they can sneak by Colgate in round two. That's right. On the uh, the other end of this bracket, you got Texas, the number two seed, the number 15 seed, Colgate. Winner of that will advance to play the winner of Texas A&M, Penn State. That'll take place on Saturday. And if hey, it one does, thing, Tyler. One yeah. thing, one thing, Tyler. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of people were complaining about seeding, and I think for people who follow NCAA basketball, you know, in a lot of ways, getting that uh, getting that 10 or seven seed getting into that game is better than getting the eight, nine because the eight, nine in your second game, if you survive, you're getting number one, probably. So, and, and to me, as I look at this, at these teams, I think, I, you know, I think you'd rather get some of these number twos than the number ones. Uh, you know, that, that kind of goes without saying. So I don't, I don't think this, this seeding or this draw is, is bad for Penn state in any way. I think it's a really good matchup. It's going to be fun. Well, however many minutes of basketball Penn State plays out in Des Moines, these guys will be on top of the coverage, speaking with Shrewsbury and players afterwards and, and giving us the lowdown on what is happening with Penn State. Can they get through, get to the Sweet 16 next weekend, prolong the period where we've got spring football and basketball to talk about? Uh, we'll learn that soon enough. Uh, before we leave basketball and get into some spring ba- football conversation, bouncing it right back to you, Mr. Brennan, there were some very lively discussion overnight and into the morning on lions247.com on the message board about what exactly happened in the Micah Shrewsbury press conference in Des Moines on Wednesday. Uh, what is your interpretation on where things stand with Shrewsbury with this athletic department? Obviously, the, the elephant in the room is they got a game to play, but <laughs> whenever basketball is finished for the Nittany Lions, there is a lot hanging in the balance, not just for what happens for Penn State right now, but for the next five years, potentially. Yeah, first of all, love the lively discussion. Even people who are critical of me, uh, seriously, I love it when people talk hoops. I love it when people have strong opinions. So thank you for everybody who's getting in on the discussion. But I, I think Shrewsbury was presented with a question that I'm not sure how you, a- how you answer it. You know, is, is it, you know, yes, no, or I don't know. I mean, he's trying to prepare himself. And I understand why the question was asked. I'm not being critical of that. But what are you supposed to say? And to, to me, I viewed it when he said, you know, that's an I don't know question. He didn't say that was an I don't know answer. That, that's the way I viewed it. And I think different pe- people looked at it a different way. And I think he was just throwing it back at the guy, who, you know, Dave, who, Dave Jones, who was asking the question. Um, you know, Dave would, would say something different. I'm, I'm sure about that. But I think he's handling it the right way. I mean, I'm, it's like I'll, I'm, I'm tunnel vision. And is there anything that we've seen that suggests he hasn't had tunnel vision? I mean – He's had – they get to the Big Ten championship game and they have a chance to win it on a last-second shot. So I, I think he's actually doing the right thing. I think it's made for a good discussion and, and, and you know, people are, are – and I think understandably concerned because you look at what he's done in two years and it's been, you know, absolutely tremendous. Uh, you know, in the course of the season, there were times when I think people were like, oh, what's going on here? But you look at the product and it's like, wow, after two years he gets them to this level? Given what he inherited, I mean, you know, the day he's hired, you know, 16 people entered the transfer portal. I'm exaggerating a little bit, uh, but I think he's been smart and, and he is a very intelligent guy, number one, smarter than, than me, obviously. But I think he's handled it well. I think the players have handled it well. And I think there'll be plenty of time for Pat Kraft 
Micah Shrewsbury, the university, and everybody to sort this out. And if it doesn't get sorted out, that's going to be an, a, a bad look for Penn State. I can tell you that. But for now, I think he's handling it the right way, and I'm not sure how else he would have answered that question. Well, from one program that is all of a sudden encountering a different level of expectations to one that entered 2023 with the Big Ten title in its crosshairs, let's talk about this football team that we got to see in person in pads on Tuesday. It wasn't a full padded practice, but it was the first step towards those uh, 15 practices here in the month of March and into April, leading up to that blue-white game in Beaver Stadium on the 15th of April. But let's look back to Tuesday. On that day, we had a podcast before our practice access where we did our top takeaways from James Franklin's press conference. So we're not going to rehash a lot of that. Uh, head back over to the last episode. Go to the site. We got a bunch of coverage from James Franklin's press conference. But sticking with what we saw, availability, guys, is always a big question mark when you haven't seen a team gather on the field for a couple of months like we have. And I was keeping a close eye on the offensive line. When we hopped on this podcast last March to discuss this team, one of the first things we said was there's not a lot of offensive linemen out there. It's going to be a tough sledding for this offense over the course of these 15 spring practices to be able to really accomplish what they probably want to accomplish. And ultimately that led to an adjusted format, not really a scrimmage action in Beaver Stadium last April. This time around, I counted 17 active offensive linemen at least. There were probably a few more somewhere out of my sight line. There were like seven or eight or nine uh, when they finished spring ball last year. Nick Dawkins was back on the field. Landon Tengwall was back on the field. Olu Fashionu was back on the field. Fashionu, Tengwall, you're starting left guard, left tackle last year for the first half of the season. Both suffer injuries. Neither practiced all the way through the Rose Bowl. Nick Dawkins uh, in the mix as a two-deep uh, player uh, at guard, at center. Um, he was out after week two, never got back on the practice field. So to see them involved out there, active, important. You're, you're viewing Fashionu as a potential offensive tackle one in the next NFL draft. You're looking at Landon Tengwall as a guy who's going to work his best to reclaim the left guard job. And he's someone who was one of the top uh, offensive line prospects to sign with James Franklin in the past decade. And then Nick Dawkins, probably more under the radar in this conversation, but Franklin quick to say he's going to be part of the competition with Hunter Norzad uh, at center. He also mentioned Vega Ioane could take some snaps there as well. Uh, but Great news on the offensive front because you've got a, a, a prized possession at the quarterback spot, a guy who hasn't been out there for a lot of live bullets. You've got these studs at running back. You've got to have it together up front, and right now it feels like the depth is there. And based on the performance we saw last year, you can't really argue with where momentum is in that regard, Daniel Gallon. No, not at all. I think going out and seeing, for the most part, uh, you know, large numbers at a lot of these positions that you know we didn't see last spring, especially – trying to look across Aluba Hall to, you know, get an eye on, on those uh, offensive linemen. I think that you have a lot of new faces, uh, a lot of guys, a lot of familiar faces that we didn't see down the stretch last year. And I think that that is something that, that only bodes well um, for Penn State. I think the fact that they have the three early enrollee offensive linemen, um, I think th that obviously helps the numbers a lot too, because I think you know, last year, I, I don't believe there were any, um, if, I'm blanking on that now. So being able to bring that that young blood in there, I think really helps those numbers. And, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about how big it is for, you know, those three guys, Williams, yeah. Donka, and, and Birchmeyer. But I think looking around, um, you know, the numbers that they have, you know, even you look at the tight ends and even without Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren on the practice field, that still remains one of the more physically impressive um, groups of guys out there with the strides that Jerry Cross has made, um, you know, having Khalil Dinkins there and then adding, you know, the enormous Mega Barnwell uh, to the mix and, you know, seeing him on the practice field with that group. Um, I think it's a, you can just kind of see what Penn State is trying to build, uh, you know, where they're putting in, you know, the recruiting resources and, and how that's paying off on, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, especially in those positions close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and you nailed it, by the way, last year in terms of the influx of offensive linemen in 2022. It was not impactful for them in spring ball. You had Hunter Norzad transferring in from Cornell after he graduated. Uh, that was not until after spring semester. Uh, Drew Shelton, who started the last five games at left tackle, wasn't with this team until this summer. Vega Ioane was one of the final arrivals for this class. And then Malik McNeil 
was a very short career here at Penn State that spanned only a few months this time around. Uh, January brought a lot of guys on board to bring some back in March to the field, and, and Phil Troutwine has a lot to work with. I also want to go over to the safety room. It's a, it's a spot that I, I, I spent some time writing about at Lions247.com on Thursday morning as we get underway with some of our positional room breakdowns. And this is an area where I think on the surface you see second year in a row, you lose a star safety. You know, you've got guys like Daniel Jeremiah at NFL.com saying Jair Brown is the number one safety prospect in this draft. You think, okay, this is going to take a hit on the Penn State personnel department. I'm fairly convinced while there are questions at the top of the safety uh, room and, and, and you wonder if you're going to get the kind of playmaking skills that Jair Brown was able to deliver. But the depth and the experience are significantly advanced from where they were this time last year. You've got Saki Wheatley, who was just making that conversion from cornerback to safety last spring. And now he's in year two. He played 350 plus snaps at the position last year. Keaton Ellis had one career start entering 2022. And now he has 14 career starts and he's more comfortable at a position that is still relatively new to him after starting his career at cornerback. And then Jalen Reed, who played as much as any safety not named Jair Brown last year. He is a much more seasoned safety than he was in 2022. And so you lost Jair Brown, but beyond that, you've got a lot of this reinforcement coming from the experience those guys picked up last year. K.J. Winston is one of my breakout picks on this entire roster at the safety position. And then you've got Tyrese Mills out there and active. So was Jalen Reed on Tuesday. Those are two guys we're going to be keeping a close eye on. Mills missed the entire 2022 season after coming in from Lackawanna College with a preseason injury. He was playing linebacker last August. Now he's back at safety, his preferred position, where he was at the junior college level. And now he's healthy enough to be out there in the practice field. And so is Jalen Reed, who we saw in an arm sling out in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl when he exited that game early. So you stack all that up. And if I can just put a cherry on top here, maybe a couple of cherries, Two top 24-7 prospects coming to town this summer in uh, Dakari Nelson, a six foot three, 200-pounder out of Alabama, who Steve Wolfong on this podcast said was perhaps maybe the, the most under-the-radar pickup in the Big Ten out of the recruiting trail. And then you've got King Mack, who is a, a legitimate burner out of a South Florida powerhouse in St. Thomas Aquinas. They'll both be joining Anthony Poindexter's position room. So because we saw Mills and because we saw Jalen Reed, and just as I'm starting to wrap my head around this safety group, that was another area of the field I wanted to spotlight. Mark, coming off the field, I know you were busy snapping photos, trying to collect video, but what were some of your key takeaways? And this is a subject we'll dive into more next week when we get another practice look on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, I actually used a photo of, uh, of uh, Jalen Reed as the main photo for the, uh, for the photo gallery just because it was pretty cool to see him out there and Tyrese Mills. Yeah, I, I think overall – the depth of talent, you know, Daniel mentioned it on the offensive line. You're talking about it at safety. I think the job that James Franklin has done, just having depth at nearly every single position uh, has, has been unbelievable. You know, we were talking about it uh, with, I was talking about it with some other uh, sports information types and media types uh, on the trip out here and, you know, trying to think when the last time Penn state's had this much depth at so many different positions and, it had to be the mid 2000s, like that 2008 team, if if not the mid 90s. You know, the great 1994 team, and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, the team in '95 that didn't perform quite as well. I mean, '99 obviously was super loaded, but the point being, you know, that's open for de debate. What 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 specific year? But it's been a while. You know, we started to see it last year. You know, James Franklin, remember we go into last year and he said, I'm not going to comment on the offensive line. I'm going to let the performance speak for itself. And I thought the line, it's, it, it really did ultimately speak for itself. But you look at just about every position. You know, the one worry spot, one worrisome spot, two worrisome spots, uh, one, maybe that's not even the right way of putting it. But I think you know, they have three good quarterbacks, but they're also young. I mean, that's that's really going to be, you know, how are these guys able to play? I think having the depth of the, on the offensive line and established players, young though they may be at running back, is going to help uh, the quarterback room. And I think it, at wideout, it's just a matter of who's going to elevate at wideout to be the next, you know, top receiver in that group. You know, I, I just I, I think as you look at it now, is it Keandre Lambert Smith? Is it going to be one of the transfers? Is it one of the young guys like a, a Trey Harrison or you know Amari? I mean, you just you look at it and it's like I think that's one area where in the spring it's going to be interesting to see who really establishes himself as maybe the alpha in that room. 
can you get by with having a position by committee? Yeah, but I think you're better off when you have one guy that you know in the clutch that you need to go to him. You know, that's going to be helpful. We talked about it earlier this week. I think having the depth that they have at tight end, even though a couple guys are banged up now, I think they're going to be fine for the season. I think that'll help with the wideout room. But I think those are the two positions where I think there is depth at the wideout position, but we just don't know who's going to emerge. And then at quarterback, again, Drew Aller, I think is going to be great. But they're so young there that if somebody gets banged up, you know, you just don't have that experience. And, and, and I, I wonder if that could end up hurting them somewhere along the line, knock on wood, that it doesn't in terms of injuries. Uh, but those are the two areas that I look at, and I would think, you know, depth-wise, a little bit of a concern. They need another body at quarterback, especially when the season rolls around. you got to start preparing your defense for their opposition. You don't want to enter that with three quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about how hard of a sell this would be as a transfer situation, but uh, there are quarterbacks available who would love to get their shot as walk-ons and prove everyone wrong, and that's kind of, I think, the direction you're probably looking at if you're Mike Yersich and company uh, to kind of fortify the depth there a bit. Guys, really appreciate the basketball breakdown. We've got the spring practice conversation to have for the next several weeks, uh, and we'll be back on the practice field Tuesday, followed by a conversation with James Franklin. We'll get an assistant coach. We'll get a few players. So all is well uh, when we're back on the field and having the, doing those kind of things, uh, and you'll see that reflected in our coverage at lines247.com. Be sure to check out our practice notes uh, from Tuesday, about 1,800 words, I think, about what stood out to us, not all that was addressed here on the show. So, guys, thanks. Good luck with the coverage out in Des Moines, and we'll see what you're writing about on Thursday night. Yeah, make sure Calvaruso pushes our uh, subscription special. He's the guy who does all the the bulk of the uh, of the heavy lifting. And, and Tyler, I know you're probably watching this, Calvaruso. I want to see some energy on this podcast for once. Bring a little <laughs> bit of energy, my man. I want to see the energy from Tyler Calvaruso. All right. We always get the energy from you guys. And he's being tongue-in-cheek, by the way, because we definitely get it from Mr. Calvaruso. All right, Daniel, <laughs> like you had to Mark. explain that. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, fellas. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right. The aforementioned Tyler Calvaruzzo and his energy now enter the chat. What's going on, Tyler? I thought Mark was being serious for a second, man. I was like, last time, last time I was on this podcast, I got yelled at on Twitter for being too loud. So, Oh, let them yell. Let them We're back, okay man. with it. Uh, hey, uh, good to have you back on. It's been a couple of weeks. I was on mm -hmm. vacation last week. Uh, you've been keeping your finger on the pulse of Penn State recruiting as always. And, of course, things shift pretty dramatically when we cross over from February to March because – Floodgates open up. Guys are getting back to campus, getting a chance to see this team in action for spring ball, getting a chance to get around the staff. And, and it can really set the stage for success, not just in your 2024 recruiting class, but moving down the road as you're hosting underclassmen right now as well. Tyler, let's circle back, though, because we have a few things to catch up on with you before we talk about some of the players who have made their way to campus. And I want to begin with uh, with the fact that Deion Barnes has gotten that promotion. You addressed uh, the possibility of what his promotion might mean for this recruiting efforts that, that Penn State wants to put on. It's happened now. He is the guy. Um, James Franklin explained he did his diligence, talked to people in the NFL, talked to people at the college level, ultimately Deion Barnes crushed the interview. He's crushed the last few years in team facilities. They felt comfortable giving him that job as John Scott Jr. has departed for the NFL. You wrote about this. Tell our listeners, what does this mean on the recruiting trail? I'd say the first thing that jumps out to me, and it's something that we went kind of in depth on, I would say the last time we discussed Barnes, is the familiarity aspect of it. Not only does he know the players in the defensive line room right now, he knows all the recruits on the 2024 board and the 2025 board and the 2026 board as well. We're talking about 
a coach who has been around this program long enough to understand the magnitude of recruiting top tier defensive linemen to Penn State. He played it, he's coached it, and now it's on him to bring those guys to Happy Valley. And I think he's in a pretty good position to do so for a couple reasons. Being at camp during the summer and watching Barnes interact with recruits, you could see the charisma that he has. It's second nature to him. It really comes natural interacting with those guys. And those guys, they love that. They listen to him. They loved interacting with him, joking around with him. It was just, you could see that he's a coach who, had he ever gotten the chance to be a position coach as he is now, he was going to be able to relate to kids and, you know, get them to buy into what he's pitching on the trail. So I think that's the first thing that stands out. The second thing is the obvious regional ties that he has. He's a strong presence in Philly. He's got a lot of love from people in the region there, really well-respected. He's known around the state from back to when he was a player. And now as he's even furthered those relationships throughout his coaching career. So there are a lot of things working in Penn State's favor from a recruiting perspective with this hire. Now, the one thing I do want to say is, you know, be patient because we're talking about a first-time on-field position coach. There's gonna, it's going to be a process. He's going to have to get comfortable with those responsibilities. That's really just how this goes, you know. If he hits the ground running, that's awesome, but I don't think anyone could really put it on him if it takes him a cycle to really settle in and get comfortable with the day-to-day duties of recruiting, balancing the on-field coaching with that recruiting. But at the end, Barnes, I think he has it in him. I, I think this is a really good hire from Penn State from a recruiting perspective. I'm excited to see what he does from an on-field perspective as well. I think being an NFL guy, I think he's going to be able to do a lot of the similar things that John Scott Jr. was able to do in terms of player development and knowing what it takes to get guys to the next level. Uh, Barnes, we saw on the practice field in that new role on Tuesday. We also saw Torrance Brown, uh, who is a new graduate assistant with the program. He was on Charles Huff's staff uh, down at Marshall last year and a former Penn State defensive end. I believe we discussed that on Tuesday when James Franklin uh, confirmed he had been added, uh, filling that role that Barnes previously held on to. He'll be working with the defensive line as well. Um, Something else we missed along the way when, when, when we weren't getting back on here with you was the commitment of Kenneth Wosley. It wasn't a surprise, I think, for folks who have followed our coverage, listened to the podcast leading up to that decision, which was, I think, a couple Fridays ago. It was like the first day of my vacation. And you know, he's the latest addition out of Philadelphia. Break this one down for us. We talked about the possibility of him uh, holding it down at cornerback, but also you know stepping up providing some slot coverage in that nickelback position, which has been really important for this Nittany Lions defense over the years. Yeah, I think versatility is the name of the game when it comes to blows. He can line up on the outside. He can line up in the slot in the nickel packages. So when you get the chance to add a cornerback who's already shown that kind of versatility throughout his high school career, and even in seven-on-seven seven camp setting, he's shown that he can cover at those two positions. It's a good get, and it's an important get that we've touched on this time and time again that also goes beyond the on-field impact. You know, getting back in at Imitep, it's important for Penn State. And getting a guy like Wosley opens the door for that. For guys like Zafir Stewart are high on Penn State. So having Wosley, you know, in their ear now, it adds kind of a new dimension to how Penn State can approach this cycle. But from a player perspective, this is a really strong add to the secondary, I would say. I I love the versatility that Wosley brings to the table. I know I keep saying versatility, but that's really what it is. He could do so many different things for you in a secondary. And that was something that really drew Penn State and a lot of other programs to him as well. So... Right now, for Penn State, it really comes down to keeping Wilsley on board, which, you know, we talked about him getting out and making other visits after this commitment. It seems like there's been a little bit of a shift with that, that he's more locked in and kind of locked down now than we might have originally anticipated. So I would say when it comes to Penn State keeping Wilsley on board, pretty good chance of that happening. You know, maybe not as much of a battle as we originally predicted it would be, but mm. Penn State's going to stay on him as hard as it does all of its other commits, man. That's, that's just how this is now. So... I think if you're the Penn State staff, you got to be really happy with getting Wolsey on board, especially so early in the cycle, because he he's pretty active on social media ever since he's been committed. You know, guys like that, you know, they're tweeting about Penn State constantly. He quote tweeted a graphic about James Franklin being one of the better coaches in the country the other night. So that presence does matter. It's part of being a class leader, I would say. In this, in this day and age, given how important social media is, little things like that mattering. Other recruits who are considering Penn State see them. They want to be part of a class of guys who are, you know, really locked in and Wolsey's one of them 
Wosley provides Penn State with a pledge from Philadelphia's Imhotep Institute for the second consecutive recruiting cycle. They signed Keon Wiley. Uh, I, I should say the second time in three years. I, I don't want. I, I'm skipping over last year, but Keon Wiley was a 2022 signee, uh, redshirted last year. I could factor in more at linebacker uh, as a redshirt freshman here in 2023, and then Wosley set to join the party next year out of the same program. Um, by the way, four commits in the 2024 class. Now all of them are considered four-star composites at 24-7 Sports. Kari Jackson, the linebacker out of Michigan, and then three in-state prospects with Wosley out of Philadelphia, uh, Anthony Specka, the Central Catholic linebacker from Pittsburgh, and then uh, Erie McDowell lineman, uh, Cooper Cousins, one of the premier offensive line prospects uh, in this region. Uh, you've got a commitment prediction in, though, for the next class, uh, which is 2025. Why don't you break that down for us? Yeah, K. Andrea Barker, top 100 running back from Texas. And I think anyone who listens to this podcast and anyone who follows along on the Lions 24-7 board knows that I'm definitely on the more conservative side when it comes to my crystal ball prediction. So for me to go out and, you know, put in a pick for a 2025 guy, I think that kind of speaks a lot. Yes, exactly, <laughs> man. I mean, it, I feel old even saying it. But I think it speaks to the how solid the intel that we have in this situation is. So – Barker's going to be making it to Penn State in April. That's the plan right now. He's going to be in town early April. And, you know, there's definitely a chance that this one could wrap up sooner rather than later based on what we've been hearing. Penn State, you know, people have been asking me, why does a guy from Texas who's still a sophomore and hasn't really visited other places, why is he so high on Penn State at this point? And why is there that legitimate chance that Penn State could be his pick before he gets out and really makes all the other visits that we see so many other guys make. It really comes down to the fact that Penn State has always been one of Barker's dream schools. And he it, it goes beyond just, you know, liking the brand or liking one specific thing about Penn State. He's a big Saquon Barkley fan, yes, but he's also taken really strong notice of what Nick Singleton and Katron Allen accomplished this past season. He likes Jaywan Sider. He thinks that he could develop under Sider. So there's a lot working in Penn State's favor here. And, you know, I feel like you kind of have to put a caveat on this in the sense that, yes, it is a 2025 kid. You know, even if he does commit now, that's all well and good, but it's going to be a battle for the next two years to keep him on. You know, you got to get that pen to paper at the end of the day. And that's something that Penn State staff is always prepared to deal with. So should Barker, you know, decide to wrap things up soon, commit as a very, very early in his high school career, that's definitely good news for Penn State. It's a positive because at the end of the day, man, you'd, you'd rather recruit a kid to keep him committed than to get him on board in the first place. It's easier when you have him on board and he's getting on campus, making the visits, familiarizing himself with other prospects on the board. So we'll see where this one goes, but I like where Penn State's trending right now for sure, and that's why the pick went in. Barker's already laid a really strong foundation of a recruiting profile. He was one of the premier underclassmen in the state of Arkansas before making this move to the Woodlands in Texas. And, and this is a program that has significant FBS talent on it that, that there's going to be a lot of eyes on on a weekly basis. He is already a top 100 prospect in 24-7 sports early assessment of the 2025 recruiting cycle, the number nine overall running back in those rankings. So let's get to the subject of campus visits because they're off the table for a little while uh, and then they're back in a big way here in March. Um, and we're already seeing that uh, Penn State welcoming some recruits to campus uh, for the initial spring practice back on Tuesday. And you caught up with a couple of them. And, and I know there's one in specific that we wanted to address here on the show. Yeah, Davon Hall, top 24-7 wide receiver from Bellevue West in Nebraska. It's always tough to go to Nebraska and get an in-state kid away from the Huskers, but I think Penn State's going to have a real chance to do that here. You know, I say that we just saw one of his Bellevue West teammates commit out of state as their quarterback committed to Missouri. So the door's open, I would say, and the door's definitely more open after the Tuesday visit that Hall had. He took in Penn State's first spring practice session and left really, really impressed, specifically Marcus Higgins. He, he loved watching him work on the field with his guys, loved sitting in the meeting, just – seeing how he coaches his guys up. And he was also taking really close interest in how the players interact with him. Because Hall's philosophy when it comes to seeking out a position coach at the next level is how does that coach interact with his guys on the practice field? How does he interact with them in the film room? Because he feels like if the guys are very, respect, very respectful and very receptive of what that wide receiver coach is saying, he knows that, that that's a really he guy he could develop under because he could form a good relationship with him. He could form that trust with him, and he's really someone he can learn from. And Hall is getting that vibe from Higgins. So I'd say that's a pretty big deal in this recruitment, given that Hall's emphasized that so largely. And Penn State is seriously in the running 
to get an official visit at this point. He told me we'll see, but it's something that he is hoping to do. So as he works to put together his official visit schedule, Penn State's definitely going to be under heavy consideration to receive one in June. So I, I would not be surprised if he's back in town kind of soon. Tight ends in a really good spot right now for Penn State. Uh, on the campus, uh, when you look at, at what they're going to have, they brought in three players at that position in this 2023 freshman class. Andrew Rappelier, the highest rated of those three, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He'll be joining the group uh, in the summer. But looking ahead, it's, it's a spot in the 2024 class that has yet to be addressed. And as usual, Penn State's going to be very selective when looking at their options at the tight end position. They have recruited at an extremely high level. They have, off the back end, produced high-caliber tight ends at, uh, on campus. So you understand why they'd be selective. They're going to have a chance to take a closer look at, at a guy who's making the rounds right now on the recruiting trail in Kentucky's Willie Rodriguez, part of that 2024 cycle at tight end. Yeah, he's he's in the middle of a pretty busy spring, I would say. He's going to be getting to Penn State. He's at Penn State today. Today's Thursday. So he's there today. He's going to take in that spring practice session, and then he's going to make his way to Pitt, Ole Miss, Boston. Well, Boston College isn't getting a visit this spring, but Ole Miss is going to get one. Ohio State's going to get one. He's making the right. He's going to be at Virginia Tech. Now, it's worth noting that Rodriguez right now does not have an offer from Penn State. He's been hearing from the Penn State staff more and more recently. Ty Hall has been – talking to him more frequently. They kind of picked up that interest during wrestling season. Rodriguez told me he started hearing from them more. And like you said, it really comes down to Penn State being selective at tight end this cycle. They're, they're selective as it is anyway, but especially coming out of a cycle where they signed three guys in Mega Barnwell, Joey Schlaffer and Andrew Rapplia. They love what they have in the room between those guys in the current group. So they're in a position to be really selective. You know, you got four-star from Georgia, Caleb Olum. He's already locked in for a June official visit. So, the offers at tight end, I would say this cycle are going to come few and far between just because, like I said, I mean, the numbers are what they are and Penn State likes what it has right now. So they're not going to really take as many or look to take as many as they did previously. But at the end of the day, Rodriguez is he's being monitored. His development is being monitored. He's got some impressive measurables. He's listed at 6'4", 240. So that, you know, that, gives, that does give you something to work with. He's a tough kid given his wrestling background. So he has power five offers as well. He, he, he Schools believe that he could play at this level, and I think Penn State's one of them. Will that culminate in an offer? We'll see. We'll, we'll have to see how things go coming out of today, and we'll have to see where things go with Penn State's tight end recruiting in general. But Rodriguez is definitely an interesting name because he is a Power 5 prospect. Anytime you can get a legitimate Power 5 guy on campus, it's noteworthy, whether he has an offer or not. Um, well, offers are not an issue for Jameer Grimsley uh, down Thank at you. Tampa Catholic. He's pushing toward 30 of them, including Penn State. A lot of love from the ACC and the SECs, as you would expect down there in the state of Florida, the likes of Alabama, Auburn, Florida State on that list, but certainly giving a viable consideration to the Nittany Lions here in his recruitment. Yeah, and Terry Smith steering the ship here for the Nittany Lions. He had some success down in Tampa last cycle going to Venice High and getting Elliott Washington. So, you know, it depends. I think Penn State's hoping to kind of replicate that here with Grimsley, who's very high on the board, and it's easy to see why. There's a lot to like with him. Really has got some impressive length at cornerback. He's six foot two, 185 already. He's got some – he's a really good kid as well, big on academics. He's a high-character guy, so that's something Penn State really likes about him. This is a multi-day visit for Grimsley. So Penn State's getting a pretty big opportunity here to make a move in his recruitment. They're already in a pretty solid spot. But if you could get a guy on campus for a successful multi-day visit before he even gets around to locking down his official visit schedule, that's something that could be really big when Grimsley kind of gets to the point in his recruitment where he's going to sit down, reflect, look at all the places he's visit, and examine those experiences and weigh them against one another. I think this is a very, very big opportunity for Penn State to solidify itself as a top contender for Grimsley. I, I have a hunch that they will, just given what Grimsley has said to me about his relationship with Terry Smith and the academic plan that Penn State has laid out for him as well. Like I said, he's a very big academic guy. He told me very early in his recruitment, look, man, I've gotten good grades throughout my high school career. It's something that really matters to me a lot. And I want to go somewhere where I could be not only a successful football player, but a really successful student who makes something of himself for a life after football. And Penn State knows that they've sold their academic pitch really well. So I like where the Nittany Lions are going in this recruitment. I'm interested to see what comes of this weekend. I'm sure Grimsley, me and him, will catch up shortly after. We'll have that up online 24-7 for our VIP subscribers. But I like this guy. I think he's a really good player, man. I encourage our listeners, if you have not watched his film, go check it out because he's got that dog in the, on the outside corner. You could see it. 
and, and by the way, since you mentioned some content for our VIP subscribers, which is going to be a lot more of now with the team back in practice mode and, and a lot going on with recruiting, uh, we have this deal going on 50% off uh, annual subscription to Lions247.com through March 20th. We're, we're laying that out this week uh, in celebration of what has been a pretty epic week of Penn State Athletics. So uh, through March 20th, you can hop on board, uh, get full VIP access for a full year at half the price. So just putting that out there. Uh, Tyler, a, a notable in-state visitor making his way to campus on Friday, as you noted. Rico Scott, um, you have been a little bit, I guess, short-winded when it comes to discussing Rico Scott and, and, and his status in this wide receiver board. I'd imagine him coming to campus, spending some time with Marcus Higgins, getting to team facilities. going to be pretty big for a guy who was viewed at 24-7 Sports as the number two overall prospect in the state of Pennsylvania out of Bishop McDevitt. I think we've all been pretty short-winded on his recruitment. I would think <laughs> he's played things really close to the vest, man, more so than a lot of other prospects we've covered this cycle. I know Scott is coming to campus on Friday with, you just said it, really an eye on furthering that relationship with Marcus Hagens because this is new to Hagens and it's new to Scott. He, Hagens just got here. They're still getting to know each other. They're still going to you know, be familiarizing with each other. So it's important to get him on campus. It looked like that was going to happen last week originally. But Penn State was on spring break, so Scott pushed it to Friday. He's going to be in town. And, look, Scott likes Penn State. He likes Ohio State. That much we do know. We're going to have to see where the chips fall for him at the end of the day, where he falls on boards, you know, where he, what his timeline is, things of that nature. It's one of those recruitments. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes of Friday for sure because that relationship with Hagens is going to be a pretty big deal in his recruitment and where he holds the Nittany Lions and where the Nittany Lions view him as well. Yeah, you've talked a lot about uh, this wide receiver board evolving since Marcus Higgins came on board and replaced Taylor Stubblefield. I'd imagine that will continue to be the case as he gets face-to-face -face with a lot of these guys, starts to compile these interactions, starts to digest what he thought about those players, and eventually once they get prospects here for some spring camps, there's, enough, there's a chance that guys who have offers right now and maybe picked up those offers from the Taylor Stubblefield era – Maybe they don't make the cut anymore. Maybe there's some guys who were, you know, not in the focal, uh, not in the center of attention uh, a year ago, and and they've advanced. And I think it's gonna be really compelling to watch what new offers go out and maybe how they walk that line a little bit with some guys who have the offer, but maybe aren't that wanted right now. Put put it putting it nicely at the wide receiver position where they signed one guy last year in Carmelo Taylor added some transfer pieces, but this looks like it should shape up to be a significant wide receiver class and uh, no one on board for it yet, but we expect that to change over the next several months and uh, Rico Scott will be a name to monitor. Uh, a couple expected visitors to get to here as we wrap up our conversation on March visitors in this first week uh, with these visits. And it's uh, Malachi, Will uh, Malachi Williams is a guy that, that we discussed a while ago uh, here in Pennsylvania, a six foot three, 200 pounds, Pretty fascinating prospect that, that you can kind of envision growing up on the edge down the road. Um, and he'll be getting uh, back to campus. At least we anticipate that will be the case. Yeah, I actually just talked to Williams before we hopped on. He will be making it on there Saturday. He's locked in for that visit. So that's a, that's kind of a big deal for Penn State in the sense that in-state guy, you know, someone Penn State really likes, has him high on their board when it comes to edge rushers. Want to keep a guy like that home. So getting him back on campus before the summer, that's something the staff want to accomplish, and that is going to happen on Saturday. Williams recruitment man, has been pretty much a whirlwind since Penn State offered on January 14th when he was on campus for his junior day visit. I think I believe that was his first time at Penn State for a visit. And ever since then, man, Georgia, Notre Dame, Tennessee, I could go on and on. Michigan, Colorado, of course. Yeah, of Southern course, Cal, Cal, Michigan, yeah, yeah. I, I can't forget Colorado these days especially. But, nah, man, just USC, I think they're, he, he, his offer list is very impressive at this point. He's a composite four-star guy as well. We're pretty high on him as well with an 87 rating. So, again, another guy who has a lot of good traits. Measurables are good. Testing's good. Had double-digit sacks as a junior. I know he doesn't necessarily play for one of the powerhouses in Pennsylvania, but very good junior season from Monsignor Bonner. Penn State likes him, man. This offer came directly from James Franklin for a reason. The Nating Lions are really high on him. And getting him back for a spring practice, just another opportunity for the staff to sell. And also an opportunity for Williams to get a little bit more face time with Deion Barnes, who he already likes from his familiar, past familiarity with him and just the previous relationship that they built. Now that Barnes is in place as the defensive line coach, I'd expect that relationship to get taken even further. So that's also working in Penn State's favor with Williams. 
as we addressed earlier, off to a really strong start and, and putting the foundation of this 2024 class together with in-state prospects. And there's a couple there, Enrico Scott, Malachi Williams, both considered by 24-7 Sports uh, uh, to composite top 10 prospects in Pennsylvania for this cycle. So key opportunity for the Nittany Lions. I like how you how you mentioned Dion Barnes. This is the, the next step for him is being the defensive coordinator when you're hosting these players and their families. It's a little bit of a different thing. I don't think you, you need an attitude shift by any means, but it's a different level of responsibility that's on your plate from a recruiting perspective. And we'll see how Dion Barnes deals with that. I, I anticipate he will do very well in that role. Uh, and then another name that we expect to be on campus, and we're going back to Kentucky, and we're going back to the 2025 class for this. And it's a name that I think people will remember, not just because it's a cool name, but because he is a quarterback to know in the 2025 cycle. Cutter Bowley at a Lexington Christian Academy in Kentucky. This is a six foot five, 200 pound sophomore who is considered the number four quarterback in 24 seven sports. Very early assessment. Let's put it out there of that 2025 quarterback class. Yeah. It's never too early to talk about quarterback recruiting, right? Never. You know, no. Whenever I think about Cutter Bowley, you know, he grows up, he's in Lexington. I feel like Kentucky has got to be a pretty good spot for him at this point in his recruitment, right? That that's how it seems on the surface, but he's getting out and he's making the rounds and Penn state has been a place that he has visited. He, he attended a game this past season. He's going to expected again, expected keyword. It's Thursday. We'll see what happens come Saturday to get back on campus for a spring practice and interact more with the staff and Mike Yurchis, who, you know, has been pushing pretty hard here. Bowley's guy, like you said, six, five strong arm, his film, man, his film's really good, and he plays against some solid competition. So you got to like what you see out of him early in his recruitment. I think he might even be a guy whose stock could rise, really. I, I believe, believe we have him as the number four quarterback in the nation right now. I'm not sure if that's composite or 24-7 sports rankings off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and look, but he's legit, man. He, he's, a, he's a real high-level quarterback prospect, and that's what Penn State's always searching for, right? And Mike Harris is leading the charge here. So getting him back on in town – Another opportunity for that he's going to get to see more. He's going to get to see Drew Aller live and in action during practice. Again, he gets to see all the quarterbacks live and in yeah. action. He's going to get to see, you know, how they take coaching, how Yurchich coaches them up. So it's an opportunity for Penn State to, you know, be among the early standouts, I would say, because it is still very early for him, and he's still sorting through things. He's been on multiple visits already this spring. He's going to be on more the likes of Notre Dame, LSU, Kentucky, you know, the usual suspects for an elite Southern quarterback prospect. So, but Hey, look this weekend, looking like it's going to be a Northeast trip for him. Yeah. 20 offers as a sophomore, you laid out the case for a guy that could continue to rise. We're not talking about a five eleven quarterback who could stop growing. He's not. already six foot five. So yeah, there's a big ceiling in place. So to get a guy as a repeat guest on a faraway campus, that's 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 something that's something that's notable it still is. ways to go and i just want to keep emphasizing this it might only take four quarters of penn state football uh, in september for the entire complexion of what you're capable of doing as a quarterback mm -hmm. recruiting yes. uh to to change i mean if drew aller hits and hits early and everyone says okay he's coming out the other side of that five-star prospect process as a college football star and one of the premier passers in the Big Ten, which would make him one of the premier passers in the country. And then you start talking about the NFL stuff that comes down the road with, with those kind of labels. That changes your reach. And it changes everything for what you can do for Mike Yersitz, for James Franklin. Um, and, 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 of course, it's got to happen. You've got to get to that point. But Drew Aller has the goods. And not only does he have the goods to elevate this offense in 2023, he has the goods to elevate your recruiting outlook at the quarterback position years down the road, potentially. Uh, but a lot to a lot to learn before we start to, to put that cart in front of the horse. Tyler, anything we didn't hit here that, that we failed to mention that, that you wanted to bring up? And if not, folks need to make sure they're dialed into your coverage because the visits are coming fast and furious and the conversations that follow those visits are really interesting and you're sharing them at lines247.com. I think we got to everything, man. Really right now, like you just touched on, I'd say stay tuned because we're building that Saturday visitors list and all spring. It's going to be a busy spring this weekend, next weekend, and then in April, obviously you got the spring game where there's going to be, it's going to be, it's looking like it's going to be a star-studded group coming to town for, to watch that game. Yeah. So, and we got official, vis official visits are starting yeah. to line those up yeah. and they're going to start yes. popping. I mean, it is, it is go time. So, yes, it's definitely go time. We'll be all over it. <laughs> All right, great stuff. Tyler Calvaruso, our recruiting insider at lines247.com. Look forward to your continued coverage. Great to talk to you here on the podcast again. We'll catch up real soon. As always, man, great to be back.
All right, good stuff from my Lions 24-7 colleagues and Tyler and Mark and Daniel. Always fun when we get the whole crew on board for an edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Full coverage of Penn State's NCAA tournament run. We'll see if it lasts beyond Thursday night. However far it goes, you'll find it at lions247.com. We'll be uh, on location with two guys, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan. Really fortunate to have them, uh, their feet on the ground in Des Moines for Penn State's basketball run. And of course, Spring ball. We're back on the field next Tuesday. A bunch of coverage coming from our latest look at Penn State practice. Pro day is next week as NFL scouts and coaches are going to swarm to Happy Valley for a long look at a bunch of outgoing Penn State players. So, hey, it's a fun time of the year to follow along. Do so at Lions247.com. Continue to do so here at the Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll catch up with you really soon right here on YouTube, on Spotify, and wherever else you find the Lions 24-7 podcast. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining. This is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1 back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.